This episode is sponsored by Elixir Sips. Elixir Sips is a screencast series that will take you from Elixir newbie to experienced practitioner. If you're interested in learning Elixir but don't know where to start, then Elixir Sips is perfect for you. In two short screencasts each week, between 5 and 15 minutes, Elixir Sips currently consists of over 16 hours of densely packed videos in more than 100 episodes, and there are more every week. Elixir Sips is brought to you by Josh Adams, expert Rubyist and CTO of a software development consultancy, Isotope 11. Elixir Sips. Learn Elixir with a pro. Find out more at elixirsips.com. This episode is sponsored by Less Accounting. Let's face it, there are a lot of things about being an entrepreneur that we all hate. One of the things that I really hate is bookkeeping. Less Accounting has just started a new service where you can get your bookkeeping done for a really low cost each month. If you're interested, go to freelancershow.com slash bookkeeping to go check it out. I signed up and they had me all caught up within a couple of days. It was awesome, and I can't recommend them highly enough. Their people are professional and good at what they do. So go check it out once again at freelancershow.com slash bookkeeping. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode number 155 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Jonathan Stark. Hello. And our special guest this week is Nathan Powell. Hello. And I'm Ruben Lerner. Nathan, welcome to the show. Uh, Would you please uh, introduce yourself? Tell us about yourself. Yeah, thanks a lot, Ruben. Well, my name's uh, Nathan, Nathan Powell, and I'm uh, originally from from South Wales in the UK, but I've been living in Spain now for the last 15 years, 15 years this year, and I'm uh, I'm a design and UX consultant by trade, or at least have been for the last 10 years. And uh, the last couple of years, I've started sort of moving away from the sort of consulting side of things and more over into uh, to products and uh, my, my software that we're building out now. Okay, well then I guess let, let, let's start with the most basic question, which is why? Why move away from doing UI and UX consulting and toward a product? I think just the fact that I, I'm getting older now and I have, ever since I started freelancing, you know, I, I had this sort of question kicking around in the back of my mind because I didn't start freelancing until I was in my early 30s. So I always had this concern about, you know, well, what's going to happen in 10, 15, 20 years time? I mean, you know, are these sort of, these companies, they're still going to employ me, you know, to be designing their hip and trendy landing pages and, you know, software and, you know, when they could be paying some, some kid, you know, straight out of university or whatever. And I just, I just started to get a bit concerned about, you know, where I was going to be. And I was trying to picture myself in 20, 30 years and I couldn't see it, you know, as a, you know, a freelance design consultant. Um, and I just started to look for ways that perhaps I could, I could move away from that, still doing something that I loved and that I felt, you know, sort of was my speciality, but something that could, you know, hopefully, or at least, you know, in theory, keep money coming in for the years to come without having to jump from project to project and, and still keep up with the cool kids. Right. And so your product is Nusi. I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong. Yes. No, no, no. You've got that. You've got that. Well done. <laughs> oh, excellent. Excellent. And and for, for those of you listening, as opposed to watching us, which is everyone, that's Nusi, N-U-S-I-I.com. That is, um, that is. Everyone and, gets that wrong. It's like, you know, newsy or nussy or whatever. <laughs> you got to spot that. Oh, excellent. Excellent. So, and newsy is for proposals. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Proposal software. I mean, it kind of stemmed from, from my own needs. It really was a case of sort of scratching my own itch. Um, when I was still consulting, it was basically my most hated part of any project. Uh, I was pretty terrible at writing proposals and it was kind of, you know, I need to do something about it. Uh, I know I'm not the only person that needs something to do something about this. 
So I, you know, I started sort of looking into it and talking to a few different agencies and studios that were in Madrid at the time. And, you know, it, it just kind of went from there. It was, uh, if perhaps looking back now, if I'd have known how many proposal software solutions were out there, other than, you know, the obvious guys, you know, like sort of bid sketch and quote roll and all that, then I perhaps I would have thought, you know, twice about it. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was a decision I made to go, you know, sort of in that direction. And, um, it's a huge challenge. It's been a huge challenge. It is a huge challenge, you know, and we've, um, we've still got an incredible amount of work ahead of us, you know, especially as there are sort of people out there with other solutions that have, you know, been around for years and have really solid systems and stuff. It's, um, it's exciting and it's, it's a huge amount of work. But at the same time, I mean, uh, you don't need to go into numbers here, but like, you're able to pay the rent and put food on the table and so forth from this instead of consulting, right? It's um, it's about halfway at the moment. Mm. There's there's myself and and Michael Cope, my co-founder, and we're both working on this full time, but we're still not able to live full time off Nusi. We're we're about halfway there, I think. So by the end of this year, we will be full time on Nusi. So every I think it's probably about every four or five months, I have to go back and sort of dig through the files and uh, and try and take on a, another freelance client to keep the bank balance, you know, sort of topped up. But it's kind of weird because you're left in this weird situation of, you know, when you're freelancing, uh, you know, when you're working as a consultant, you always try and make sure that your pipeline is, you know, brimming full and, you know, that you have plenty of leads coming in. But of course, as I <laughs> focused on Nusi the whole time, I let it go dry until sort of I can't go on any further and suddenly have to dip back into the pot and, and, and see what I can find. So it's kind of a weird situation. You know, it's, it's kind of the best and worst of both worlds at the moment. Well, you said something really interesting before when, you know, when we were talking about how you got started. You said you went and you spoke to a bunch of design agencies. And I think this is something that a lot of people sort of neglect to realize is part of the process when creating a product. Can you go into a little more detail about how, how did you figure out that this was something that was needed besides your own needs? And then what specifically these agencies needed so that you could take all their input and turn it into a real product? Yeah, I, you know, I want, this was going to be my first product and I, <laughs> I went against the better judgment of, you know, of greater minds out there and sort of pretty much went for a SaaS as my first product. There was a book that came sort of while I was specking out Nusi and stuff, but, um, yeah, it was, it was a big undertaking. I knew that I wasn't just going to dive in without any sort of investigation. So, you know, thanks to sort of shows like uh, Startups for the Rest of Us and, and particularly, you know, sort of Rob Walling's book about Start Small. I was able to put at least enough information together to know that I should be talking to people, you know, and, and seeing if they were suffering from similar problems. So I, I essentially, I, I put together a list of studios and freelance designers as well who were working in, in, in Madrid because initially, uh, Nusi was launched in Spanish only. I had no intention of, of ser serving the English speaking public. So I, I got in contact with all these studios and spoke to them. Of course, they did what everybody does when you throw an idea at them. They said, you know, it's a great idea. I really love it. Um, it would help us out with a lot of problems. But of course, the majority of them were actually using other solutions. Either they were creating their own in-house with, you know, InDesign or Word and then PDF, or they were using other solutions that were out there. You know, and when it came to the moment, and, and I did actually did ask, you know, well, you know, if I could build a solution that you thought, you know, was at the level that you would need it to be, do you think you would make the switch? You know, would you come across? And in fact, the great majority of them actually said it would be too much work for us to take everything we have in our system and to come across to a new system now. You know, as much as we love the idea, it's probably not something we do. So 
I mean, I I could have just taken that as a, okay, don't bother, you know, just leave it. But for some reason, you know, I could see that there was a need there. Okay, these people weren't willing to make the move. I was having trouble. I knew that other freelancers that I spoke to in my own personal circles were having trouble with this as well. And I just, I don't know, I think there comes a point as well that you can do the research, you can talk to people, and obviously you should do that. But at the same time as well, I think that for me at least, I went on this kind of this, this feeling or this hunch that, you know, this is something I want to do. This is something, you know, that I'm going to do. But at the same time as well, I sort of put a limit on it. I said, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to try this. I'm going to get an MVP up and running and I'm going to limit myself, you know, to how much I spend on the initial investment. And if it doesn't work past that, then it's done. It's finished. So evidently that worked. Uh, well, it did, it, it didn't, it didn't because I, I said, right, I'm going to get the MVP done. I actually, I had a very low budget. I had two and a half thousand dollar, which then was extended to three thousand dollar budget just to get a, a very scrappy MVP developed. Got that developed. The MVP was done. Actually managed to get a few paying customers on that MVP, which still blows my mind to this day because it was just, <laughs> it was beyond bad. It, it was really, really nasty. It was, you know, it was full of bugs. The UX was still pretty, you know, pretty terrible. But, um, yeah, it did actually get a, you know, a handful of paying customers and it kind of motivated me to, to move forward with it. But I, I had this, this second set of problems, which was that back then it was just me, you know, so I'm design UX. I outsourced the MVP and I didn't think past the MVP. You know, what happens if it does work? I didn't even presume really. I guessed that it could go anywhere. So I kind of hit this other wall. It's like, well, what do I do? Do I continue to pay, you know, outsource for development and get the entire app uh, developed by, you know, someone else, which as you can imagine would cost an absolute fortune? Or, you know, do I look for a co-founder? And to be honest, the thought of bringing in a co-founder wasn't, it didn't particularly appeal to me. You know, this was my baby. This was going to, you know, make me a million. And so I spoke to a friend of mine who runs a, a successful startup in Australia. And he just said, you know, you have to think about what you want. You know, do you want 100% of nothing or 50% of something? And that was kind of like the, the sort of spark, you know, that made me see that, you know, it's not going to go forward on my own. And the rest sort of started moving from there, really. And uh, I think if I hadn't gone down the route of a co-founder, that Nusi would be one of those side projects that, you know, that you would find for sale on, you know, Flipper or somewhere. And not for an awful lot either. Mm. Wild. So, so how did you find your co-founder and, like, what has he brought to the equation how has it made things better wow if michael wasn't with me now there's no way that it was it would exist in any way shape or form now so it exists (laughs) so that's probably the the major contributing fact but um it it was a weird thing because I, i was having this conversation with this friend in australia around about the same time that i was still consulting and i was actually i was actually working a few months as a product lead for a startup in madrid and I was actually working in-house uh, for a couple of days a week. When I went down, there was this full-stack project lead, and it was Michael. So, we, you know, we were just working together for a few months, and obviously I would tell him about my projects, he would tell me about his, and we just started, you know, I, I got into the whole thing about Nusi and what was going to happen with it, you know, was I going to be able to uh, continue paying, you know, subcontract and development, and I actually ended up giving Michael a few hours' work, and... You know, the contract there at the start came to the end and, and Michael approached me by the end of it and said, you know, if you're looking to take on a co-founder, he said, I'd, I'd definitely be interested in looking at this with you. You know, I like where it's going and I think I could really help you. And that was that. So we kind of drew up a, a very sort of, shall we say, temporary contract, went to a bar, 
signed it and um, things moved from there. And we, we basically, I mean, the, the MVP was at this point then that we had, or rather I had a few paying customers, but like I said, it was terrible. It, it, there were holes everywhere and we kind of realized that we had to just rip it down, start again and relaunch. And, that, and that's what we did. I mean, we actually completely closed down the original MVP or V1 or whatever you want to call it. Weren't taking in any more customers because as soon as they signed up, they would just cancel straight out. It was, you know, it was, it was terrible. And so we just closed down for a few months. And, um, I think we spent about six months reworking, redesigning, recoding the entire thing and then relaunched at the end of September, uh, last year, September 30th, I think. Yeah. In the relaunch, how much of the feedback, I assume you got feedback from the original MVP customers. How much of that feedback? went directly into the new product and how much of the new product was sort of like your dream vision of what you wish you had launched in the first place? I think obviously, yeah, a lot of the feedback we'd, we'd received over the, the course of the MVP was taken into account and, and helped us to form, you know, and, and to forge what later became or what became Nusi sort of as it exists now. In actual fact, we still have a couple of users from the original MVP that are users, you know, customers with us now. So that sort of feedback has been continual from then to now. But at the same time, you know, when there's only one developer and there's only, when there's only one me <laughs> who's doing everything else outside of development, there's only so much you can do. And we all, we always knew that the version we were going to launch with in September was still going to be sort of a bare bones version, if you like, you know, it was never going to be launched with all the features that all these, you know, the other big players have, you know, sort of integrations and sort of team management and all, all this kind of thing. So we knew that we had to just get those essential features and, you know, the features that were actually going to help people sort of win more business, you know, through their proposals. So we, we essentially, we had to, you know, just sit down, write down everything that wanted, you know, that we wanted to go in, that needed to go in, that would be nice to have in. And we just, had to be pretty ruthless and, and just strip out sort of 90% of it, you know, and we still now, you know, sort of several months down the road, we still have an awful lot of work ahead of us, you know, as much in development and features as we do in sort of, you know, marketing and, and, and the blog and everything else that comes with that. I think there's definitely more work ahead of us than I think we ever imagined there would be. You mentioned before that you have a bunch of competitors, right? There, it's a, it's, you're not the only folks out there with a SaaS application to do proposals. For sure. <laughs> right. So, so like, on the one hand, how is this daunting? And on the other hand, you know, how, how do you try to position yourself so that people will say, yeah, we want to use Nusi and not those other guys? I think um, originally you, I you had... Can tra- a- you can trash talk them. No one's listening. <laughs> originally I had a really <laughs> solid plan because it was going to be launched purely in Spanish for starters. I mean, that was a pretty unique selling point or at least yeah. I thought at the time for creative studios in Spanish speaking sort of countries i.e. Spain and, and South America obviously that went out the window in fact that went out the window six weeks after launch I had no clue how Nusi could have been received by the Spanish speaking audience and it wasn't well received at all so we quickly swapped over to English like I said not really knowing you know who was already out there other than the people that I tried that make me wanted to go and build my own solution. But I think the solutions that were already there when I started looking at Nusi were, you know, were solutions that had been there for a long time, you know, so they had been built and designed, you know, sort of 
several years back and i don't know the just the, the usability of it of, of the existing products just wasn't what i was looking for it wasn't what i wanted to help me and if it wasn't simple enough for me to use then i wouldn't have considered them you know simple enough for who i wanted users of Nusi to be so i just thought well i can't go after anyone that i don't have any any contact with you know so my people my my audience you know are designers and sort of you know creatives and and that's pretty much where we went from from day one it was always proposal software for designers I think it's more slightly now into sort of for creative professionals because we're seeing that we're not just getting designers now. You know, we're, we're getting sort of marketers. We're getting even a few small sales teams. We're getting freelance writers. We, we, we've even got a few lawyers in there. You know, we, we're getting all kinds of people from all kinds of, of markets, but we're still very much everything we do is sort of aimed at the creative professional. You know, I think the freelance audience is. It's certainly the majority, makes up the majority of our customer base now, purely because, again, I think that's because that's where we come from. That's, you know, that's the people we know. So it's the people we can relate to most. But I think as well, as time has gone by, as, you know, from the time we've launched up until now, there's been a gradual buildup as well of uh, studio accounts that that are coming on board now. So I don't know. I mean, I just, I couldn't find what I wanted in the solutions that were out there. They seemed, to me, they seemed old. They seemed outdated. They just were full of features that I would never use or never want to use. I just wanted something that was going to be quick and easy to use that I could get in, not have to think about, get it done and and just get out again and, and, and get on with what I wanted to do, which was, you know, whether that was design or whether that was being out on my bike or, or whatever it might be, you know. Can you give us a crash course on what it does? I mean, I, I do a lot of proposals, and I can't imagine why I would use a SaaS for it. So I'm sure there's some like super cool stuff that I'm missing out on. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. I mean, I think it depends. <laughs> when I first started doing proposals, like I said, I didn't. I I mean, I didn't know what a proposal really was. You know, I was uneducated in the ways of you know when you start freelancing, you start freelancing on your own without any kind of sort of group around you or mentor or, or you know sort of mastermind or anything you know it's very much you learn as you as you do and inevitably you end up making a lot of mistakes i think when i originally started doing proposals i was just basically writing out what i thought were sort of elaborate contracts stri- uh, stroke pricing lists and it would take me a long long time you know and, and i think the fact that it took me so long to do these proposals made me realize that you know i needed to look at the way i was doing things and there must be better ways out there. I didn't know, I didn't know, or at the time, I didn't know of any of these courses. You know, I didn't know who Alan Weiss was. I didn't know, you know, Brennan Dunn wasn't doing what he's doing now back then, you know, and, you know, and so all these other people that are talking about proposals and skills. So, A, I wanted to have all my, my content in one place because this was a time before I was sort of specializing really, you know, so I would have proposals come in from all different types of clients, obviously web based. I'd have to go searching for my content from this proposal, that proposal. You know, I was using InDesign at the time, by the way. So I go from InDesign to PDF, and then from PDF to email. Um, so yeah, just that's basically that's basically what I do. Yeah. So just keeping all those documents in order and keeping that content, you know, the sort of the boilerplate stuff as well as the obviously the custom stuff, was always a pain for me. Um, and I wanted to have a better way to organize that content without meaning, you know, I would have to set up this you know, system that I would never, <laughs> that I would never, you know, have enough energy to keep updated. And I just wanted that template to be there, to be accessible 
from wherever I was because, you know, I'm not always on my own computer or I'm not always, I have everything on external hard drives. A lot of it is up in Dropbox as well, but I don't always have that data with me. So it's nice to be able to have everything in a, a central place, you know, to have that content, to be able to go out. I think one of the other big things as well, and I, I mean, obviously this is offered by all postal software, so this is by no means a, a unique selling point, is that whole thing of actually knowing that once the proposal has gone out, that it's actually been, you know, received and opened by the client. Because when you're sending out the PDF, you know, it goes off via email and that's it, you know, until you hear from the client. That's, um, or until you reach out and say, Hey, did you, did you get the proposal? What do you think? You know, whatever. There's no, you know, there's, there's no feedback on that. That's and super I, interesting. Like analytics on your proposal. <laughs> That's yeah, awesome. But, I, but yeah, I just think I would always have this, this sensation of being lost. You know, my proposal goes out the door, sent off into the ethernet, you know, and, and now what happens? You know, until I get the email back. I've no idea what's happened with it, you know. So now, as soon as a client opens a proposal, I'm going to get an, an instant notification saying, you know, Bill Blogs has opened your proposal. You know, get ready to answer any questions or whatever, you know. And obviously, the amount of times, you know, if they open in the proposals again, then you know you'll be informed about these things. And of course, you know, the added bonus. I, I feel like I'm doing a sales pitch now, but you know, the, then the added bonus as well as being able to actually just sign on the dotted line online instead of if you're doing PDF, you either have to sort of go down the email route where you're going to accept via email and take that as legally binding or, you know, use another third party service to get it signed online or <laughs> print the PDF, sign it, scan it, send it back as an attachment, you know, and I mean, those days weren't that far gone. So I don't uh, know, that's, that, that's still what happens with me. I, I like the I like the signing aspect. I mean, it's, I don't mind you. I know you feel like you're selling it, but I'm, I'm just curious, you know, I'm sure a lot of people that are listening are in that situation where they're using InDesign or Pages to basically they copy an old proposal and they try desperately to make sure that they change all the client information. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you and well, yeah, you would you would never you know, accidentally send out a proposal with the name of a previous client. I'm sure that happens to no one. Knock on wood. <laughs> I, I've never done that. Yeah, not yet. Knock on wood. See, and that's the other thing as well. Like, so once you've done that, once you've committed to sending that PDF, that's it. You know, you, you if you've messed up, you're screwed. You know, it's like, oops, sorry, sent the wrong PDF. Here's the real one. But of course, with not, you know, with Nusi, you just, you update the proposal. And of course, because it's online, it's just automatically updated. You know, and the client might not have even seen it. So you can make any amendments. And obviously, again, you know, sometimes there is feedback from the client saying, you know, well, can we look again at this section or can we look at, you know, I'm interested in about, you know, this pricing option. Can we talk about this? And then obviously, you know, you can just make those updates based on the conversations and they're just going to, you know, have access to that again straight away um, and sign off on it or whatever the case may be. So I think for me, I mean, the, the real, at the core of it was just saving me time because I did take a long time to write my proposals, you know, for one reason or another. If you're billing, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, $50 an hour, $100 an hour, and you're spending, you know, it's sort of, I know of uh, Nusi customers who are spending between two hours and half a day on a proposal. So if you can make any kind of saving on that, you're already saving yourself a considerable, uh, you know, sum of money, and especially on a monthly basis, you know, it's win-win. <laughs> yeah, when you look at it like that, if you're charging 100 bucks or more per hour and it saves you two hours every time, then it's worth the money. I think so, yeah. I mean, underneath it all, that was why that was why I wanted Nusi for me. And I, and I think at the end of the day, if Nusi had gone nowhere, I would have continued to use it, you know, because like I said, it was very much a scratch my own itch. 
Um, I always hoped, of course, that other people would find it useful and would want to use it, but I knew that it was something that I was going to use, you know, whatever happened. So I think the time yeah, I mean, it seems like the, It seems like the sweet spot really is people who have no switching costs, like new freelancers, you know, people who don't already have a team with a workflow or, you know, a workflow in place around creating proposals or people who maybe do have a workflow in place but are just essentially doing their own document management like like I described that I'm doing. Yeah, I think, and I think that's why we see more freelancers than we do studios and agencies because it's easier for them to come on board, you know. And as, as you say, especially newer freelancers, we, you know, we, we speak to a lot of freelancers who are, you know, brand new to the game and, and actually they're coming to Nusi because they want to learn how to write proposals. We don't just get people signing up and sort of firing away and using the templates and, you know, we, they'll actually get in touch with us and, and sort of ask, you know, what might be best approaches for certain things. And, you know, because we, we run a free course as well, uh, email course, and we get a lot of response via that as well. So I think definitely the, the, the freelance side of it is easier. It's an easier sell almost. But like you said as well, there are sort of larger teams who are still working on sort of that old school system of, you know, Word documents or, or InDesign or, you know, some are even using, even using, um, you know, PowerPoint and Keynote to their proposals. So I think, especially the studios that are still doing the work, going down the Word route, at least the ones that we speak to, they're, they're desperate to move away from Word because they need that organization. They need that system. You know, they want to be able to just grab, you know, that section that, you know, that snippet and just, you know, drop it in wherever it needs to go. Um, yeah, it gives it, obviously, gives it structure. In, yeah, and it just it makes the entire process just so much faster. I mean, let's face it, nobody like. Well, I don't know if anyone likes using Word. I wouldn't say nobody likes using Word, but um, for me, yeah, it's just no, no. <laughs> I wouldn't even know how to to make a proposal template in in Word. I don't think. So I'm super curious about your templates because I have a lot of really strong opinions about how proposals should be written for certain kinds of work and so the, I, I guess I have a two-part question one what can you tell us about the different kinds of templates that you offer and sort of the logic behind that and well actually let's just start there if you wouldn't mind okay yeah well, when we launched as I said we we launched with the bare bones version so we just offered a web design proposal template because that was the um, the audience we, we were targeting primarily um, we've added another one last week. We've got another one going up in a couple of weeks. I mean, I think we're going to aim to get about three to five uh, starter templates in there because you know people expect it, and especially for the new, for the newer sort of newer freelancers. But it's not actually the sort of the area that we want them to focus on because, like you said, there are so many ways to write a proposal, and so many people. Not I'm not talking about the new freelancers now, but the sort of the more established freelancers or the, the studios. You know, they have very specific ways. You know, and thoughts and processes behind. You know, to write in their proposals, same as I do. So I think it's more the system we have in place than the templates. Because, I mean, on on the Newsy blog, we we talk an awful lot about sort of the entire project from you know, initial client contact through to, you know, getting the proposal, running the project to successful completion, etc. So we talk a lot about proposals and we do our very best, you know, to educate in, in the best ways that we think a proposal could or should be written. 
but of course when when you look across the various the various groups the various industries sort of web design uh, full service marketing agencies uh, social media marketing they all write proposals in a different way they all have their own pricing structures you know i'm a big fan of tiered pricing whereas you know someone who's working in social media marketing it might not make any sense for them whatsoever you know they might just have a fixed price to do you know this that or the other on a monthly recurring basis so I think with regards to the proposals, we just try and educate as well we can through the blog, and then hopefully that sort of trickles down to the actual app. Obviously, we and we actually have we actually have a private community inside of of Nusi for the customers. So whenever anyone signs up and becomes a paying customer, they get uh, asked to join the uh, our private community in Slack, and we actually have a proposal feedback section in there as well, where you, you know people can come in and ask for help on the proposals and ask you know sort of what changes could be, should be, you know, might be made. And it obviously it's not just myself making those comments. Everyone's in there pitching in. So I don't know. I think with regards that's to a the huge, templates. That sounds like a huge value add for me, to me. I think that, so. That and sounds it, amazing. Yeah, it was, again, it came down to, because we are very much the little league here, you know, we can't compete. You know, I'll, I'll keep saying that. You know, we can't compete on certain things, you know, with, with the big boys, you know. We have to make up for it in other areas, you know, and we we are doing our very best to be sort of, you know, side by side with our customers. And one of the ways of doing that was actually creating this private community because then they can come in, they can tell us, you know, what they feel is working within the app, what isn't working. They can have a direct line to us. They can ask for feedback on their proposals or indeed any aspect of, you know, sort of, consulting or, or the business life you know and, and it was one of the ways that we were actually able to set ourselves apart so to speak customer support and and sort of customer service has been a big part of that but i feel like i'm digressing now from the templates no that's it it's interesting because we had a guest on a previous episode named rob williams from workshop and he mm-hmm. uh, you may be familiar with uh it's sort of a related situation not competitive but related it's hard to describe. I guess he sends out this, he's got this sign up mailing list that people can post jobs in and uh, freelancers and, and other creative professionals pay to be on the mailing list and they can basically pitch for these jobs. And he was seeing just like the most horrendous amateurish, just a disaster area of pitches. Just, they were just horrible. So I, I feel like it seems to me like you're, uh, in a sense, with templates for people who are, say, you know, picking a, a type of project like, a, you know, a web pitch or whatever, a template would be pretty valuable for someone who's just starting out and would have really demonstrable financial benefit. You know, it would be like really clear, like, wow, like all of a sudden I'm getting all these gigs because I'm using Nusi, I'm using the Nusi template, and all of a sudden my proposals are way more professional. I guess my point is that, sure, you might think, you're writing professional proposals or people might people might think they're writing professional proposals but in fact lots of people aren't so and when you think about it how would you even know if you were it's not like you're it's not like there's a place where you can go and look and see what a you know what the other proposals looked like that went to the client that you were pitching so right having yeah having peer feedback i think is hugely valuable there some kind of like whether it's peer to peer, I prefer actually a, more of a either a mentoring type of relationship or you know someone who's farther along than you, letting you know like like wow that's a great proposal or wow there's some glaring errors in that proposal, and I feel like templates are 
a great first step there. I feel like you're kind of talking the templates down. And, and to me, they, they sound like, not talking them down, but you don't think it's your most exciting feature. And to me, that's actually super exciting for a, a particular segment of people who are getting started and really, you know, they didn't take a class in school on it. I don't even know if there is one. You know, I, I know our local design school is it's like world famous for design, RISD, uh, world famous design school, but they don't teach the students a thing about business or any pitching work or yeah, any the business kind of design of is, skills. <laughs> the business of design, I think, is is completely forgotten about. I think on the on the educational side of things, and I, yeah, I, and I do yeah, but I do agree what you say about the the sort of maybe I am downplaying the sort of the templates thing because. We do have new new freelancers come on, and we do. And in fact, these are always sort of the nicest emails and the nicest tweets we get. You know, when someone just says, uh, "You know, I, I've just won my first proposal ever with the Nuti, you know, template," and they have just literally gone in and used the the stock template in there. You know, obviously changed out, you know, the names, places, etc., and, and just sent it off. And obviously, for them, that's huge. And, and for us, it's just it feels fantastic. You know, it's so. I think when you, when you when you start building a product, you always you probably have a couple of goals in mind. You think, well, one, you think, well, maybe it'll make me a little bit of money. Maybe it'll be useful to me. Maybe it'll you know allow me to build actually a business that will you know sort of take me through the years. But then once you start seeing people using your service, using your product, and actually uh, you see that their businesses are being improved, it changes things a little. It almost changes how you see your own product and it changes to a certain extent the goals you have as well because i think you know what with the sort of the private community and, and the blog and everything i think we've almost taken it now as to be like nusi we want nusi to be the place to go to learn about proposals you know about the education about helping people to win more business through proposals as opposed to just being you know a proposal software for creative professionals because there are lots of people offering that you know and how can we do it differently? Well, you know, let's try and actually help people win more business. And um, yeah, yeah, it's 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 always a huge silly grin on my face every time we see one of those emails or tweets. You know, it's um, it feels good. Yeah, I'll bet. Absolutely, no. The, the fact that you're helping people build their businesses is it must be a tremendous feeling. I mean, I guess it's like what I do with consulting clients, right? But like here, these are people you haven't necessarily even met. They found your site online. They're paying you money. Their business is getting better and they appreciate you. You know, it's a big win for everyone. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, Michael and I quite often just comment on the fact that like how nice are our customers? It's, it's really weird because I've never, obviously because I've never been on this side of a service before, you know, to receive these emails. Um, and not necessarily just from the people, you know, have won a, won a contract or whatever, but, you know, people who are just looking around or, you know, have found they've gone through the free email course or they've just signed up. And people are actually really, they're really open, you know, they, they really want to sort of talk to people about these things. And it's, it's just amazing actually how sort of open and, you know, open to communicate, to communication some of our customers are. They're just really, really nice. It was just not something I ever expected to happen. Isn't that funny? So, I'm I'm sort of curious. I mean, you've now made this transition largely from, you know, consultant, freelancer to someone doing products, and yet you're working with people who are freelancers. So you, to a large degree, understand their pain. Hopefully, you're not encouraging them all to do products instead of proposals. Um, (laughs) No, 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 no. (laughs) The question is like, is this a route that you would suggest people take? 
And if so, like, what mistakes have you made that they can learn from so they can do it better? Is this a route that I would suggest? I That's so much down to the individual. I just think it depends where you see yourself. I think, you know, all the sort of freelance designers that I knew and used to talk to, I, I, we would only ever see sort of two routes. You know, it's either you start your own agency. I mean, from personal experience now, sort of what do I want to do with my with my design career? Well, I'm going to start a studio or an agency. And that means obviously you've got to take on people, you've got to build business, clients, uh, roster and everything. Or, you know, you go the other route and you go down products. And um, I don't know, I just couldn't, I couldn't see myself going down the agency route and I couldn't see myself staying freelancer. So to me, it seemed that there was only one, one other way to go. So I think it just depends largely on the person. You know, if you, if you, I mean, look, I, Alan Weiss again is the example, the, you know, the ultimate consultant who's still rocking it at whatever age now and you know and, and i'm very happy with that but i think one thing you know if you are going to look to go down the products route i think you have to do it gently gently you know don't jump in feet first don't burn bridges you know make sure that you do have ongoing work because it takes a long when, when i say products now i'm referring to sort of particularly to SaaS. so obviously you know books and sort of maybe plugins and sort of courses and stuff you can obviously do, you know, while you're still consulting, you can sell those on the side. But when you sort of jump into a SaaS, it's for me at least, and myself and Michael, it's all consuming, you know, it's, it really is full time. And you have to have a way to be able to support that as it grows, because, you know, as everyone says, it really is the slow ramp of death. It takes a long time to get from zero to anywhere near the sort of the amount of money you'd need to live off. So I think you definitely need to have some kind of plan. You definitely need to have, you know, work on the side while you're building it or some kind of fallback to that. I think with regards to sort of definite mistakes we made or mistakes I made, I think I probably didn't reach out to enough people before I started building Nusi. You know, like I said, I spoke to people, you know, I got the MVP done, but then it was very much kind of, you know, I just sort of put it out there and went cold emailing studios, you know, because I didn't know anyone, you know, who could, I mean, I went through, I went through lists of agencies by city in the States and just wrote off cold emails. You can imagine the response rates on that were pretty low. <laughs> I actually got my first client from that, but um, <laughs> who's still with us? Um, I've had the exact same experience where really? like, the cold email had exactly one response and they stayed with me forever. It's <laughs> so weird. Yeah, that one that one percent uh, response rate. Yeah, it was not something I'd recommend. But you know, when when you're there, when you're against the wall, you know these are things you do. These are so I don't know. I think I would have I would have tried to I would have tried to build more of a community. I think not community. My group of people around me. I think I would have. I never really had any mentors or anything back then, or rather, I didn't know people who were further down the road, who I could sort of lean on and say, you know, what could I do to be able to help with this area or that area? I think it, it would have been hugely beneficial for me uh, as an individual and also, you know, for Nusi for the service to have had the, that body of uh, of help, you know. And, and now I do have all those people, but I just, uh, it's hugely beneficial, you know, even if it's just a mastermind. I think, you know, even even a mastermind is, is mostly, I think, largely unheard of by the majority of freelancers. I mean, Maybe for folks like yourself or people I know, you know, the mastermind is, you know, is, is a given. But there are so many newer freelancers out there or so many freelancers out there who are wanting to do something else and, and don't partake in any kind of, you know, these sort of group activities. or And these these things could be hugely beneficial as well. In fact, the mastermind I was in early last year when Nusi was, um, was still MVP, 
they, I mean, they were largely responsible for, for Nusi being here today because I was about, you know, I was, I was still jumping from project to project. I was still creating products that I thought was going to, you know, going to earn me a quick buck and you know, I was going to launch and I was going to, you know, um, and they just told me to, to focus and to buckle down, you know, Nusi had paying customers. It was a SaaS, SaaS is a hard to build. So to focus on that. And again, you know, that was thanks, you know, to my mastermind, to my, to my friends and my community. So I think focusing on building, you know, some kind of community around yourself, you know, for want of a better expression, I think is, is hugely valuable. And that will help you avoid the great majority of mistakes that you inevitably would make otherwise. It sounds like with the way the timing was and some of the comments you made earlier, it sounds like you've availed yourself of what you consider to be conventional wisdom or modern conventional wisdom on the approach to a SaaS, unless I'm imagining it. But I think it's, you know, it sounds like you came across Brennan Dunn a little bit later in the scheme and you came across Alan Weiss a little bit later in your, your scheme. If you were going to start over today or you're going to make a new SaaS today, what would you do differently? I feel like it's a little bit of a different question than the previous one. If, if you had an idea for a SaaS today, how would you approach that? How would I approach that? From the outset, I'd I'd find a co-founder because for me, because I, I can't do the development. I can't outsource the development because to get a, you know, a service or a product or an app done properly, it needs to be done properly. And unfortunately, you can't get corners on that. And, you know, that's what I learned from the MVP. And as difficult as it is to find a co-founder, at least a technical co-founder, you know, I, I mean, I know there are hundreds and thousands of them out there, you know, vying for a seat at the, at the table of any sort of service or product. Finding the right person to work with you is is hard, you know. So I think I would definitely, I would have, Nusi would be in a completely different place today if I'd been with Michael from the start, put it that way. It kind of, I go, you know, I oscillate between which way I look at it. You know, do I look at it that I would be a year ahead of where I am now or, well, Nusi wouldn't exist anyway if it hadn't, you know, existed as it did before. So I think I would definitely right, like look to it. Had, almost like it had to go through that process. Yeah, it had, it had to go through that sort of stage. Otherwise, I mean, who knows? I'm, I'm a big believer in that, you know, Whatever's going to happen is going to happen anyway. So there's no going back on that. So I think definitely finding the right people to help you build that. I think, you know, as you've said, yeah, I sort of, I mean, after building, like the sort of Brennan and Rob Walling and everyone, I already knew that before, but what I didn't know that was that a SaaS was going to be so big. I think regardless of how simple the SaaS is, it's always a lot bigger than, than people think it is. I think, <laughs> you know, we, I just played it by ear. There was no real planning. There was no, this is what it's going to look like in six months, 12 months. This is actually really where I want it to be in two years. It was just winging it, you know? It was just, you know, here's an idea. Let's try and make it work. Yeah, there's just so many things. It's like cost of customer acquisition and lifetime value of a customer and churn. How are we going to deal with churn? And like, how much should we spend on marketing? Yeah. Yeah, it's like so much. I don't know. I, I mean, I just don't know. Even if I did another SaaS now, which I can't see myself doing at the moment, I just don't know if because I'm the kind of person that sort of jumps in sort of scopes it out and sort of will get on with it I'm not the best planner in the world so I don't know if I could you know sort of take that that step back and say all right okay well here's an idea if it's if it's you know if we can get x amount of customers in in the first month three months whatever then this is how I want it to look in 12 months you know I don't think I'd be capable even now of uh, sort of going a different route on that I think um yeah, I think I'm kind of I'm kind of scrappy in that in that respect. 
Um, well, I think your I think your advice is well taken. Then for your personality, I think not even just your personality. I think people in general. I think getting into a mastermind of peers that can help them see the forest for the trees is hugely beneficial. And then if possible, get someone that's a mentor that's 10 miles down the road from where you want to be, maybe more than one. And those two things, I think, will... It sounds like you would have reacted well to that had you done it earlier. So I, I think that that's probably... Do you think that's good advice for anybody in uh, that's maybe thinking about doing a SaaS? Oh, for sure. I, if you don't if you don't know other people now who are building products and services, then you should start trying to find them because... Um, like I said, the guy, the guy that was running this, this startup in Australia, it's a startup called Clinico. That was a bootstrapped SaaS as well. And it's been going now for several years and, and it's huge. I mean, sort of in terms of customers and, and, uh, revenue, it's, it's immense. But, um, and that was my only sort of, you know, touching point to the world of products or services. And the few conversations I could have with him, with Joel were gold to me. You know, it was like the new freelancer coming to Nusi and discovering these templates and like, Wow, seriously? Like you can do this? I think just just having that person over the other side of the table or the other side of Skype or whatever it is, who has actually sort of been there, done that, made those mistakes. You know, it's hard for me to sit down now and say, well, these are the mistakes I've made. Don't make them. Compared to somebody coming to you, you know, on a private one-on-one or or in a mastermind or whatever, and saying, you know, I'm thinking about doing this. Um, you know, what's your experience being with that? You know, and it's so much easier just to be able to turn around and say, well, you know what, I had a terrible time with that or, or this worked for me or that didn't, or you might want to think about taking this approach. I think without a doubt, finding people who are further down the road, you know, than yourself is going to be one of the biggest sort of favors you can do for yourself. Definitely. Excellent. I think we're close to out of time. I think that was a pretty great summary, but. Nathan, do you have any other words of wisdom? Jonathan, do you have more questions? I words of wisdom. Other... <laughs> you, you can also, Jonathan, if you have words of wisdom, or if Nathan, you have questions, that's also okay. <laughs> <laughs> flip flop there. <laughs> I was just wondering if you. I, I'm uh, sorry, I don't know this. The answer to this from browsing your site already, but uh, safe to assume it's like a monthly recurring service that I could potentially pay for annually. Is that the case? Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's monthly recurring. You can pay for annual as well. The actual uh, the yearly prices aren't up on the website at the moment. It's something that we've just started doing now. Um, actually, reaching out to customers to offer them the upgrade to yearly. So yeah, it's something that needs because we've we've still got quite a few areas and, and pages actually on the website, the marketing site to develop as well, and, and the the price pages is next up on the list. So gotcha. that will be there. So okay, so that's that's uh, sounds good. Sounds normal. Um, I'm wondering if it makes sense or if you've thought about doing like an info product for sale, not for free, that targets the same market in order to kind of attract newbies, if you will, or like new freelancers and kind of sort of build their trust with a lower risk purchase. Has that ever come across your radar? Yeah, it's about ninety nine percent done. <laughs> ah, there you go. It's it's um the at the moment is tentatively titled the Creator's Guide to Better Proposals. Um, there you go. <laughs> it's actually it's actually been sitting on my uh, I, I'd say my bookshelf. It's been sitting in Ulysses for the last last few months, and it's about to be ordered sort of structured at the moment. And the plan is well, the plan was actually that it was going to be out this month, but that's not going to happen now. So I think. The plan is that it'll be up on on Amazon actually next month. So on previous occasions with my previous book, I'd done self publishing and 
this time I thought we'd experiment with something, or I'd experiment with something slightly different, and we'll we'll try the Amazon route this time and see what happens. So yeah, the, the idea is that we'll be able to sort of reach as many people as we can um, who are needing to sort of improve their proposals, and hopefully as well that will also work as some kind of sort of lead magnet for Nusi as well. So um, I'm actually. <laughs> it's one of those things that's on my list and it keeps getting pushed down each day, pushed down, pushed down, pushed down, but I've really got to make an effort and, and get that finished by the end of this month. Yeah, that sounds like a great, it seems like a no-brainer. Yeah, I definitely. Lot, I know it's a lot of work, but it seems like a no-brainer. No, yeah, no. I, I, I think Jonathan's uh, analogy earlier to uh, Rob Williams with his, um, you know, with his mailing list or, or be able to look at people's emails and then make a book out of it. I think you're definitely in a similar situation. I mean, you could probably even do some sort of statistics on, cause you know, not only what people wrote and how they wrote it, but which were accepted, mm-hmm. right? So you can, you can yeah. even have, you probably even have insights into what is likely to get your proposal viewed, what is likely to get it read, what is likely to get feedback, and what's likely to get it accepted. Yeah, it's like lead pages with real money. Right. <laughs> right. With real money, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not conversions. It's like, well, it's conversions, but it's not just clicks. It's, or it's not just emails. It's not just capturing a lead. It's boom. You're capturing sales. Bank, yeah. Yeah. It's money in the bank. No, I mean, I'm excited to get that out. And like I said, it's, it has been sitting there. It's pretty much, I mean, it's pretty much done. The, the book is pretty much written. It's just, uh, I need to, to get it edited and, you know, I've even got the cover done and everything. So I want to make a commitment, right? I'm going to make the commitment now. It's going to be, it's going to be ready next month. So. Well, now the world has heard it, right? Now the world has heard it. Now I've, I know I've stuffed myself now. <laughs> no, no more weekends for the next four weeks. No more weekends. Well, weekends. I'm right there with you, buddy. <laughs> I've heard rumors of this thing called a weekend of which you speak. That false sale to myself of, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't want to be a freelancer anymore because it's jumping from project to project and working every hour there is. So I'll, I'll, I'll create a SaaS and, and work every hour there is instead. <laughs> Yeah, but it's the difference between renting and owning a house. It's a big difference. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm hoping for. All right, guys. I think we've come to the point where it's time to do picks. Jonathan, do you have any picks this week? I do have a pick. Speaking of Lead Pages, which I just mentioned, uh, Lead Pages has a new service. I'm assuming most listeners know what Lead Pages is if they don't check it out. It's a great way for marketing people in an organization to put up landing pages without bugging the development or design teams. Uh, so that's what that is. But they have a new feature called Lead Digits, which I'm, as a mobile guy, utterly in love with, where they have a uh, short code that they paid for, which is a really expensive thing to pay for. And you can reserve keywords on that short code as a Lead Pages customer and have it basically own that keyword so you can you know you can, like on a podcast uh, you could say text freelancer to 33444 to get more information about this episode or what have you i'm super into mobile especially sms i love all those uh, i love all that stuff and i've tried all the ones out there uh, that i've come across and this is by far the best implementation that i've seen for capturing leads yeah, so lead digits is definitely my uh, pick. It's fabulous for anybody doing any kind of real world marketing where they want to get a, they want to be in person on a pod, well, podcast not in person, but uh, you're trying to you're trying to jump the gap between talking and clicking. It's tricky. Cool. That sounds very neat. Uh, Nathan, you have any picks for us? 
Yeah, actually, just a, a plugin that I discovered this week and that I've started using on, on the Newsy blog, actually, called Revive Old Post. Obviously, whenever we've got new posts going up, I go through and sort of plan them out in Buffer. And and I've always sort of found it a bit of a pain, to be honest, to then, you know, at some point go back through all the old posts and, and, and start tweeting them out. So I found this post, uh, sorry, this, this plugin, Revive Old Post Pro. And essentially, you know, it does what it says. It sort of goes through uh, your old posts. You can sort of say, right, I only want to tweet out posts that are sort of 15 days old, 30 days old, 45 days old. And you can send it out, obviously, with the title, with the, the featured image. You can send out the category as, as a hashtag. And um, it's really nice. It seems to be doing a really nice job. And um, you can hook it up to Bitly and things like this. You can see, you know, actually how well it's doing. And it's, uh, yeah, so it's Revival Post Pro by ThemeIsle.com. Very nice. Very neat. Uh, I've got two picks this week. One is a post on uh, Nick DeSabado's mailing list, on his draft mailing list, uh, which came out, I think, a week or so ago, maybe this week, maybe last week, when we're recording, which is basically about, I mean, it's sort of an inspirational letter about how do you get really good clients solve their really expensive problems. And I know this is really an obvious thing. And, like, he sort of just, I think, states it very nicely and elegantly and eloquently that the more acute the problem, the, the greater the pain you are solving for your client, the more they're going to love you and the more they're going to pay you and the more they're going to recommend you to their friends and it just gets better from there. Uh, another spin on what he's saying, by the way, is don't work for clients who have small problems. Because then, of course, they're not going to pay you as much, and they won't be as thrilled, and they won't feel the problem as acutely, and on, on, and on. So um, I'll have the link in the show notes, and you can definitely look at it, and I think it was fun. The other thing is... Uh, to, po- oh, sorry, go, 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 yes. I have to chime in on that, because I got that email, too, and it blew my mind. It was so great, because everything you just said is 100% true, but Nick is a designer's designer, and the email is aimed at designers. And the thing about it that really rang my bell was that he makes an argument for designers, capital D designers, to come up with a way to measure the financial benefit of their work, which I think is critically yeah. important and brings value to the entire industry instead of this hand-wavy, oh, it's so sexy stuff. Like These are businesses that are paying you money for design, and if you can't measure the benefit of your design, then it's not going to be perceived as valuable, full stop. So many so, designers struggle with this. Re- uh, I mean, really, really struggle with it. I know. That, well, I wish I'd thought of it, Reuben. I'm glad you mentioned it. It's a, a fabulous email. Good, good, glad. I'm glad to hear it. I also have a fun pick, which is a podcast I just discovered earlier this week called Gastropod. Gastropod, and it's about the it's about food, as they say, food through the lens of science and history. And I've listened to, I think, two or three episodes at this point. It's fun. It's interesting. They've got interviews. And perhaps my favorite part of it is not just the interviews and not just the information, but their sponsor. I wish I could find the name of it. Their sponsor is this company that is trying to encourage the world to eat crickets. (laughs) (laughs) And so they sell. And I really have to wonder whether this was a joke. But basically it said, and now our sponsor, where... They will send you for $10, or whatever it is, a bag of cricket flour that you can mix into pancake mix or, or whatever. Now let's ignore the oh, fact that- I was going to say they just added bacon. <laughs> I mean. That's not like, I, that, that's not like that company in San Francisco is it that sells you dog poo in a box or something. No, no, no. I, they, they actually then went off and 
made, I think, like muffins. And one of the hosts said, oh, I went to a party with my friends and I made muffins with cricket flour and I brought to them and they all loved it. She did not mention if she told her friends if she used cricket <laughs> flour. I say not. Anyway, I, it's a it's a fun podcast and interesting for those of us interested in uh, food, cooking, science, history, and all that other stuff. So I hope uh, some, somewhere all of you can enjoy that. I've also been reminded to remind all of our listeners out there that we are currently selling t-shirts. That's right. If you like The Freelancer Show and if you're listening to the end of it, you definitely do. You want to buy one of our t-shirts, <laughs> you can go to teespring.com. The link is in the show notes. Get t-shirts, support the show. Tell all of your friends that this is what you're doing with those earphones on your ears all the time. You're listening to us. And the teachers are available f- until the end of April. So whenever you're listening to this, assuming it's before the end of April, you can still get one. That's it for this week. Nathan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank um, you so much, Ruben. And we will be with all of you folks next week. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Would you like to join a conversation with the Freelancer Show panelists and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a form that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. Sign up at freelancershow.com slash forum.